Good morning and welcome to Church of the Cross. Uh, I think, is my mic on? Am I on? All right, good to go. Uh, good morning you online. Good morning you in the room. We are doing things a little bit different this morning as you are probably like, wait a minute, where, what, what's going on? Why is Peter up there to begin? Today we are doing something a little bit different. I mentioned this last week in the E! News. We're doing what's called an instructed Eucharist or a tour of our liturgy. If you've been around at Church of the Cross, you've been here already. You've, you've heard us do this before, um, but it's been a couple of years. I think it was 2019, the fall of 2019. Um, a lot has happened happened since then, and so a lot of you are new as well, and so there's a chance to kind of like update and get a sense of like, why do we do these things that we do? And so basically how this is going to work is we're going to go through the liturgy, but there'll just be a couple of moments where we'll press pause, and I'll come and give some commentary. Think of it as the director's commentary for our worship. Uh, and so initially, I just kind of want to give some orienting comments, and then we'll process in and do the normal thing uh, as we often do. And online, I encourage you to follow along as well. You should be able to track with us um, really well. Uh, and so basically, we're doing this. Like I said, there's a bunch of newcomers here. A lot of us are new to the liturgy, and that's really exciting, and just there's a chance to get oriented. But that's really important because um, what, the reason we worship the way we do is we think that it forms us in the ways that God wants us to be formed. It forms us in Christ-likeness. Um, and I'll say more about that. But that power, the power that the liturgy has to form us comes or increases when we actually know why it is that we're doing the things that we're doing, right? Like if you just kind of are like, well, uh, I start to do this um, and I'm not really sure why, um, that's maybe a good place to start. But having kind of like an, an understanding of why them in a more full-hearted way um, and helps them form you. In, the, in my mind, I'm thinking of Mr. Miyagi and uh, Karate Kid, and he's like, got him washing the car, right, or building the fence and telling him to do those things. And he begins, and he doesn't know why he's doing it. But then as he learns, he's like, oh, these are like techniques, defensive techniques, the way I'm moving my hands. And then once he has that added knowledge, there's increased power to the action, and his motivation to do it increases. He understands more, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. So that's kind of why we're doing this. Now, the best way to think about worship on Sunday morning uh, is to think of it as a feast, this feast that the Lord has set before us. Um, we use that language around the table in, in, specifically, um, but the idea is the whole thing is a feast that the Lord is the host and we are his guests. And if you think of it as a feast, there are really four components, and I think we have a slide for this. There are four components to the feast. There is gathering, that's the first thing we're doing, and that's really the first part of the service. We're gathering as God's people in his presence to receive from him. The second component is we're receiving from him, from his word, right? He, is the word of, he has the words of life, as scripture tells us, um, and that's really the first half of the service. That's where we have the scripture readings, that's where we have the sermon, and that kind of stuff. That's receiving from the word. That's like first course, if, it, if you will. The third component is receiving from the table, right? Bread and wine. And there's specifically something that God has for us in the tangible kind of taking of the Eucharist. So that's the third component. And then the fourth is like right after that is the sending, right? We had gathering at the beginning and we have sending at the end. Um, and so 
about these four components. And actually, as we move through, we're going to connect them with the four core values that we have as a church and some core convictions that we have as a church. And so along the way, we'll kind of pause and do that. All right. Sorry. This is going to be like drinking from a fire hose. Just warning. Sorry about that. Uh, I wanted to say something about the room, like the orientation of this room. Uh, And so we're all facing, y'all are all facing the altar. And that is supposed to be the focal point. As much as Andrew and Krista and Gim would want to be the focal point, no, they're off to the side there, right? The altar is the focal point. You'll see when people come up, they'll bow before the altar. And that's, the idea is, is that it is the, the, like the focus of God's presence, uh, the language of the Psalms, right? It's the footstool of his throne. We think that God is present to his people and he is here with us, um, and so this is the orienting point. Back when we worshiped this way, uh, very early on when we were using this building, we used to orient the room this way. And that made a lot of sense because that is east. And historically, the church, if you go to like an ancient church, it's constructed facing the east because that's to Jerusalem and it's to the, the, the rising of the sun, right? And it's the idea is like when Christ returns, we're anticipating that, we're ready to greet him, we're facing east. So we fudge a bit, we're faced north, which is like to Canada, so really close, <laughs> next best thing. Um, but a phrase you might hear is like, it's liturgical east. That's what you say. It's like, oh, it's liturgical east. You orient the church that kind of way. Um, and so the altar is faced there. At the back of the room here uh, is the baptismal font. Uh, some of you walked by that. There's the little bowl with water. That's the third generation bowl. We've had children knock it over and smash it and stuff like that. Uh, but it's there. And the idea is, is the baptismal font is your entry into the presence of God, right? Like you draw near to God through the waters of baptism. And so this is something actually like very practical that you can do as you come in the morning. Uh, as you come, you can dip your hand in there and like cross yourself with that water or you can just like touch yourself with it. And the idea is, is if you're a baptized person, that's kind of like this reaffirmation and a reminder that like the people of Israel going into the promised land through the waters of the Red Sea, like you're entering in through God's deliverance as symbolized, as captured in the image of baptism. And so you come in through the waters of baptism. All right, we at the beginning, that's kind of orientation of the room. Um, I'll say more about the candles and what's up here a little bit later. Uh, We at the beginning, we ring this bell, right? Like, bang, 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 kind of. We do that for practical reasons, trying to call people to attention who are mingling and that sort of thing. Um, But bells in Anglican worship have this kind of specific uh, uh, import. They do something specific. They're a call to pay attention. In a lot of churches, at the moment that the elements, the bread and wine are consecrated, there's a bell rung. And it was specifically, if you think back to like historic kind of church worship, worship was often done in Latin. Most of the people didn't speak Latin. And so they were kind of like not totally paying attention. But at the moment of consecration, they'd ring the bell and it was like, pay attention. This is a key moment. Like, look at this thing. And so there's this sense of like, as we ring that bell, that as God's people, we're being like called to attention, right? Oh, this is, this is what we're here to do. And it's supposed to bring us into this different thing, the worship of the Lord. Um, and we, we specifically, not every Anglican church begins that way. There's not like, there's no rule that you have to begin with a bell. But we begin with that way as it kind of like sets aside this time, this time that we have together on Sunday morning as important, as of the work, the the work of God's people. And then we ring the bell, there's a call to worship. 
usually reflecting the scripture readings that day, and there's a specific call upon the Holy Spirit. We recognize that our worship is faltering, half-hearted often, is imperfect, and we need God's presence to make it perfect. We ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to sing the praises of God's name, and then we come forward. The people who are vested process in following the cross. And so this is like, this is one I know a lot of people are wondering, was like, why the robes? Why the white robes? Um, And the the idea is, is the people following the cross are simply supposed to be representative of the people of God. Today, it's all dudes. That was just like a quirk of scheduling. It doesn't have to be all men. It certainly shouldn't be regularly. It's supposed to be men and women, young and old reflective, representative of the people of God. And we process after the cross because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do as people. We follow the cross. And again, if you think about the orientation of the room, right, this is where God is present. The idea is, is like by the cross, we draw near to God. The robes themselves simply on our, in our worship, like signal, oh, somebody who's like serving liturgically that Sunday. Um, it's no like special status or anything like that. Um, it's not like a particularly holy group, especially not this week. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you want a robe, I can tell you where to get a robe and you can get a robe. Um, and the idea here is historically, this white robe was like this Roman undergarment. And so the idea is, is it's like, uh, we're not dressed in all our finery. You don't get to like see the class distinctions of like who's wearing really nice clothes and who's wearing plainer stuff. The idea is, is like in the people, as the people of God, we are like one and we're the same in some way. Um, and it, it, it also, this Roman undergarment was given to Christians after they were baptized. Um, we don't do it this way, but you're often baptized naked and then you were given this garment. And it was this symbol, even using language from the book of Revelation, of being like white robed, washed clean, your sins washed clean. And so the idea here is like, this is a mirror, is you as the people of God come and you see people wearing this. It's supposed to be a reminder, this is who you are in Christ. The things that you've done and left undone, the things held against you have been wiped away in Jesus. And it's this reminder that we are given this white robe, that we are cleansed by the power of Jesus' death on the cross. Um, All right. Oh yeah, and in the history of the church, monks would often wear these as like a sign of poverty, a sim- like a, a robe like this. It's like, oh yeah, we're not all about that. We're, we're one in Christ. We're humble before him. There's level ground at the cross. Okay, but there is one distinction you'll see is some of us are wearing just the white robe and some of us are wearing the white robe and this like fancy green stole, green this morning. This stole is a marker of somebody who's ordained, right? And so one could go this way for a deacon and then this one is for priests. Uh, And it's simply supposed to be this symbol of the yoke of Christ, right? Like Christ calls us all uh, and and sets his yoke upon us. It's light and it's easy because he's gentle and lowly of heart, but there's a yoke. And this is supposed to be the idea of like, oh, there's this unique kind of yoke that's placed on ordained people to serve the body of Christ. Um, It changes colors with the church calendar. Right now we're in ordinary time, so it's green. During Advent or Lent, it it will be purple or sometimes blue. Um, On Easter, it's white or gold. On Pentecost, it's red, and there's some special Sundays in mixed in there. But you'll see as we move through the church calendar, the, the colors themselves will change. All right, that was an insane amount of information to start with. And you're like, just ring that bell and let's get started. I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray the call to worship, and then we'll sing the opening song together and process in. 
Gracious and almighty God, we love you, Lord, and we are delighted to gather in your presence as your people and to lift your name high. And I pray even as we like move through this information today that maybe at some points is just information and is dry in some way, we ask that you would use this um, morning to draw our hearts to you, to reveal yourself to us. And I pray that you would empower us and even through this information, strengthen us, Lord, to worship you with full hearts, O oh God, and with great joy for who you are and all that you've done. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I invite you to remain standing for our opening song. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. All right, we have up there one of our main uh, core values. We have four core values here at the church. One of them is celebration, celebration of God's goodness. I won't read that whole thing, uh, but it's on our website. We have that information out there. And the idea is, is that the fundamental, one of the fundamental actions of the church is celebration is rejoicing in what God has done and is doing in the world. And that is part of, a major part of what we're doing here on Sunday morning. We began just now with the opening sentences. And I wanna say a word about that. We started, as soon as we walk in, the first thing we say is, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom. If you've been here for a while, um, you often know we, at this moment, give like a word of welcome. And we say, especially to a newcomer or guest, we say, uh, we hope that you would have a sense of God's goodness and grace extending towards you. And that's, that's true of everybody here. Like we hope that you have an experience of God's grace, of his goodness. But that actually, your experience is not actually the focus of this time and our gathering in the name of Jesus. We gather and the first thing we say is blessed be God because he is the focus, right? The orientation, the, the, the fundamental priority is lifting the name of God, the triune God high is blessing him. And as we bless him, we receive, but the focus is there, right? The focus is on him. He's the host, it's his feast, it's for his honor. He's the host and the guest of honor. And this is really important because we as a church, as the people of God, need to keep the main thing the main thing. This is potentially controversial, I get, but the worship of God is the fundamental, the primary thing that the church is called to do. There's lots of other stuff the church is called to do, but the most important work for which we're made is worshiping God. And everything else that you want to see in the world that perhaps you come today burdened with uh, begins there. If you wanna see that other stuff, it begins with the worship of God. So think of justice, of peace, of healing in your own life, of equity in the world. Every other action the church is called to, service, evangelism, hospitality, the good things we want, is secondary to the worship of God and is rooted in the right worship of him, right? You, you don't get the secondary good things unless you put the first thing first, you don't get the secondary good things, important things, unless you put the first thing first. And for the people of God, the first thing first is the blessedness, blessing the Lord's name, magnifying him, lifting him high. When you do put secondary things first, good as they might be, the Bible has a word for that. It's idolatry. And anytime there's idolatry, that's when things start to get out of whack in Israel's life, in the life of the world. 
As, you, as the people of God forsake, first and foremost, the worship of God, that's when the poor begin to be mistreated. That's when there's injustice. That's when there's people hoarding for their own security the things that they desire. The Old Testament prophets, time and again, as they call, people's God, uh, call, call the people of God out for mistreatment of the poor or injustice, it's all rooted in this misaligned worship. And so if we, as the people of God, lose sight of this, it's not like, oh, then these other good things become the focus and we get them. We lose everything if we don't orient ourselves first and foremost to the worship of God. And some of you, probably that prompts a question, right? Like, you're like, well, wait a minute. I know the church. I know the church in the United States. I have experience in the church. And I see the church falling short in so many ways, not being a, uh, uh, not being uh, an instrument of God's justice, not embodying the life of God as they should. Even as they say they're putting Jesus first, even as they say they're worshiping God, the triune God. And I say, to that I say, fair point, fair point, absolutely. I was reading this week about how um, there are Nazi daggers in the museums that say God is with us, right? Like lots of people have used the name of God to baptize their own efforts, their own vision of the way the world should be. And what I want to say is that whenever that happens, even if the church keeps saying, no, Jesus is number one, we're here to bless the name of the Trinity. Whenever that happens, something else has become the point of worship, the main thing. It could be a personality. It could be a political ideology. It could be a cultural identity, right? Something else has come between God's people and their first love, even if they're saying different. And so we need this constant repentance, constant vigilance, and to be ready to constantly reform our lives such that the worship of God would be centered rightly. And that is part of why we worship weekly and we begin here. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a way of reminding ourselves and bringing our life into alignment. All right, so that was some heavy-duty stuff right off the bat. Don't worry, kids. You are going to be dismissed to follow the cross. Uh, you're like, and there's no test at the end of this. Um, all right, so we move from there, and we press a little further into worship. We have what's called the collect for purity. And this has this language here. We can put it up there. We can put up the collect for Oh, I, I, that shouldn't have been there. But uh, almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Uh, and this language is kind of scary, right? It's like, oh my gosh, there's surveillance or something like that. There's big brother is watching. But the impetus here and the, the motivation here is that you are intimately known. You are known better than anybody else knows you. You are better than you know yourself by God. And still he loves you. Still he calls you to himself. And there's this incredible freedom we have in knowing the love of God and being able to say, there's nothing hidden. There's nothing hidden from you. And this is part of this gathering movement. As we're gathered in the name of God, we might have a question of like, well, does he really know me that well? And maybe if he knew about what I did last night or what I did this week, I wouldn't be invited. And emphasizing this point, hearing this prayer at the beginning is a reminder that he knows it all. He sees you and still he calls you to himself. So there's good news in this. From the call for purity, which we'll pray in just a second, we move to the summary of the law, this brief statement, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And from that summary, we hear that summary and immediately what do we say? We say, Christ have mercy. It's this recognition, we cannot fulfill the law, but, without, but with God's help, we need his help. 
And that is all then kind of leading us into confession. As we think about the things that God sees, as we think about his law, we're reminded of the ways that we fall short. And we confess, and we stand or we kneel. Kneeling is this posture of humility, this posture before the presence of the king. And it's this recognition of like, I don't have anything to bring. And so I would encourage you, uh, lots of us stand, but I would encourage you, if you've never knelt before, kneel. It is, and you're able physically. It's a good thing to do. And it's a way of like putting your body in a position of humility before the Lord. And sometimes you're like, I'm not really feeling that. But just doing the physical action can help bring focus and is a way of honoring God. And all of this, the confession, is the key thing in gathering is we're reminded that we're sinners in need of grace, that we don't come to this table, we don't come to the feast out of our own worth, right? We don't have the things to offer, we don't have the things uh, that would qualify us for this, but for the grace of God. And confession is one of the key moments, I think, because there are very few places in our lives where we can publicly acknowledge that we don't have it together, where we can publicly acknowledge that we're under construction, that things are not as they should be in our lives. And so that is this moment of confession. Um, You kneel, there's silence before confession, that moment we kind of like wait for a couple of seconds or if we're feeling very bold, dozens of seconds. And that's a moment to kind of like think about your life and allow the Holy Spirit to convict you, not as like rubbing your nose in it, but that that might be brought into the light and that you might name that before the Lord and fully receive his forgiveness. And think of the language. It orients us Godward again. And we talk about walking your will, walking in your ways, the glory of your name. It's focusing us again there on the priority of God. And then at the end of confession, the priest stands from this place and pronounces the words of absolution. Your sins are forgiven. You're set free. Know that you've been forgiven. Uh, The words of absolution uh, have this part where uh, we talk about Jesus' specific forgiveness. And at that moment, uh, you might not notice, have noticed this, but there's the cross, like the cross symbol is put over you. And right as we speak about the cross and Jesus' forgiveness, that's where the priest is supposed to drop their hand. And the idea is, is like you are in the cross, cut off from your sins. The sins no longer hold power over you. The condemnation that goes with them is no longer yours to bear. You're, you're freed from it. So that's supposed to be this physical gesture of what's happening. And then the cross um, made over you. There's nothing magical about hearing the words of absolution from a But there is power in hearing someone else say what is true of you in Christ. And that is the point of this moment is maybe you've had that experience in your own life, someone near you to say like, you are forgiven. And that's this gift. And the idea here is that the priest is standing in the place of Christ in this moment and saying, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more, right? Uh, We had, I think if you go back, we had that little bowl. Um, This is Japanese pottery. This is, uh, some of you have definitely heard this, but Leah Labresco is a Catholic writer who's written about kintsugi, this kind of Japanese pottery where the, the bowl is broken or crushed. There's these cracks. And then in the cracks is filled in this gold, right? And that's, it's gold laced glue is how this bowl is now held together. And it's this beautiful image of something that is broken, and yet restored, and in a way actually restored more beautifully than it was originally, right? Like more valuable. Kintsugi pottery is actually more valuable than just your run-of-the-mill pottery. And there's an image there for us in confession, 
right? As we bring these things, the brokenness of our lives, God repairs and restores. And something of his beauty is marked upon us. A restored person in some way reveals God's glory in a way better than it would have been if we were not broken at all, if we'd never fallen. And so I want to encourage you to lay hold of confession, lay hold of this practice as something that's an act of worship and that brings glory to God. He wants to show you mercy. And that is something that is like good for your soul, that leads to a life that reflects the beauty and goodness of God more fully. All right, I'm going to leave off there. Why don't you please stand with me and we'll say, uh, we'll begin with the collect for purity. Almighty God, and I'll pray this, I pray this by myself over us. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. And hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor and yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. I invite you to remain standing or kneel as we prepare our hearts for confession. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn to him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to stand knowing that it is Christ who lifts you. The Lord is here. And his spirit is with us. Let us pray. O Lord God, grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The children may now follow the cross to the garden. Please be seated for the reading of God's word. Or for Peter to say. Yeah, for me to explain more liturgy this time. Uh, all right. <laughs> well played, Kim. Well played. Um, See, so we're going to talk a little bit about what we just did and then about like what would normally come in, uh, at this moment. Uh, I was at the pub this past week with some friends playing darts. Paul was there. We should call that guy Deadeye Van Allen. He was winning at darts and he was feeling himself. I don't know if he even knows that I noticed this, but he was feeling himself. He was winning at darts and all of a sudden the bass dropped on some song 
And he started to shuffle a little bit. And maybe like a little bit white boy shuffle or something like that. Uh, and it was this like almost unconscious thing. And there were some other people as the, this music, this song was really catchy, just started to move them and move Paul. Uh, I won't ask him to reenact it or anything like that. Uh, but it was just the testimony testament to the power of music, right? Like music moves us. It has this ability. It can move us for uh, the glory. It can move us to less glorious ends. Uh, I'll leave you to your imagination how Paul was moving. Um, <laughs> but the idea in our music here, in the songs that we sing, is in response to God's grace, there's this kind of like effusive physical praise, right? In response to the grace that God has given us, the confession, the words of absolution we've just received, gathered in his name, we glorify him. And music is elevated speech, right? It's this special thing. We sing songs over especially notable, glorious things. And that's why we sing songs here in worship. There's a hymn that we sometimes sing, uh, this is my father's world, and there's these lines in it. It says, this is my father's world to my listening ears. All nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. And that gets a little esoteric, but the idea is, and people have written about this, Bach wrote music that reflected this, is there's like an order to the universe and there's music in it. And the idea is, is that there's a song of creation. And as we sing our songs, we're adding our voices. We're, we're lending our voices to the glorious song of all creation. And music is almost uniquely able to connect us with the transcendent, with the divine, right? It puts us in touch with beauty, truth, and goodness. And that's why music is appropriate for the worship of God. And the goal of music here at Church of the Cross as Andrew and Krista pray over the songs, pick songs, is that music would help us move toward God, experience his presence, experience the reality of his presence with us. Um, so Andrew and Krista, they'll choose songs that reflect like the scripture readings, the themes of the, the, the where we are in the church calendar. Um, they choose word, the songs with words carefully, right? They're, they want it to capture the truth of who God is, the truth of what he's done in the world. There are songs maybe that like would move us, but maybe they don't capture the truth well of who God is. And there are songs maybe that capture uh, the truth, the words well, but maybe we, we, we also want songs that will help kind of animate and liven our hearts. They'll choose songs that are kind of reflective of, of a, the ancient kind of uh, nature of our faith. They'll choose older songs, but they'll also choose newer songs that are expressive of the way the Spirit is moving among God's people now. They'll choose songs from Nigeria. We have a blessed with a number of Nigerian brothers and sisters, and we sing songs from Nigeria. We sing some songs in Spanish, reflective of the global body that we're part of. The idea is, is that music helps us in our bodies, in our hearts, draw near to the Lord. And I want to say one thing. I know a number of people are like, wow, I've never been, this comment has been made to me before. It's like, I've never been to a church where somebody wears a robe and they also raise their hands. Um, and that, uh, I don't know why that is. There is no reason those two things can't go together. Uh, there's nothing physically that like in the robe that makes, makes it impossible. Um, I've mentioned this before, but I grew up in like charismatic Pentecostal circles where expressiveness in worship is part of the deal. And it is that, that particular stream of the church, that's one of their great gifts to the church is expressiveness in worship. Um, and this is part of like the physical engagement of God is raising our hands in adoration. Some of you watched football yesterday and I guarantee you when the Longhorns, if you were at the game, if the Longhorns scored, you put your hands up in the air, right? Like it, it, you almost didn't have to think about it. 
And I want to say, like, this is part of what we're doing is we're, we're glorifying the Lord. We're extolling him as we're reminded of the truths of who he is and what he's done. And I know some of us are like, oh, I don't necessarily feel super comfortable raising my hands. And that is totally fine. There's no like requirement or expectation that you do so. But I also want to say is that there is something good as you perhaps you're like, maybe I'm feeling it, but I recognize God is worthy of it. And so I use my body to acknowledge or worship him. And putting our bodies, it's the same as kneeling, putting our bodies in positions of worshiping the Lord, reflective of um, honoring him, can often be a means of helping like bring our hearts, our affections into alignment. So maybe if you've never raised your hands uh, in the weeks to come, you'd think about that. And you can, you can always start here. This is like the easy, that's the easy one, or like this. And then you don't have to go full whole hog or something like that. That's what Paul was doing in the pub. No, I'm just joking. Um, all right, so that's songs, that's singing. Oh, one last thing is like songs are like everyone, well, everyone with kids has seen the Lego movie too, right? This song is going to get stuck inside your head. Uh, part of the beauty of singing these songs and the hope is, is that these get the truth of the Lord into our hearts and our minds. And so if you're like me, you'll often find yourself singing refrains to yourself from worship on Sunday. And that's also part of the gift of music. All right. So that's all about the songs of adoration. From there, we moved right to what's called the collect for the day. This is all under this gathering component. And I said something right now, just at the beginning, I said, the Lord is here and his spirit is with us. And this is one of the core convictions that we have that animates our worship is that God is actually present to his people, that God is here with us. And when we gather in this place, the reason we bow here, the reason we treat this with some reverence is because God is present to his people. So that's why we say the Lord is here. And the prayers that we pray, we did the collect for purity a little bit earlier. There's the collect for the day. That's a weird word, collect. Maybe we don't have experience with that. The idea is, is that this prayer collects us as people. It gathers us up. We're disparate individuals. And the idea is, is as we pray this together, we are collected and our desires, our needs are gathered up, collected and offered to the Lord. They collect us, us all collect our needs before God. We get the prayers, the collects from the Book of Common Prayer. It's this particular book. This is kind of like the guide for Anglican worship. Uh, it's an ancient book. We're going to do a lunch and learn in a couple of weeks about the Book of Common Prayer and how it can be used as a tool in drawing near to Jesus and walking with him. But there are set prayers for each Sunday in worship that kind of chart with the scripture readings or chart with the church calendar. And they're a way of guiding us. And the prayers themselves often have scriptural language. Some of them are literally over a thousand years old. And the, the language has sustained Christians throughout the centuries. And there are around the world, when we pray that collect, there are Christians in Kenya, there are Christians in Singapore, there are Christians in Australia and the United Kingdom who are praying these same prayers, often the exact same collect on that day. And so the idea is, is as we follow these prayers, it's not just us here at Church of the Cross who are being collected, but it's we're being collected, gathered up with the whole people of God, ancient and global. Some of us, I know, are not used to written prayers. And there can be, if you're like the tradition that I grew up in, it was a strong emphasis on extemporaneous prayer, right? Like spontaneous, off the cuff. Um, and we do that. Often moved by worship, myself or David, one of our leaders will like offer up a prayer on behalf of God's people, extemporaneous. It's beautiful and good. 
But the intention with written prayers is that the words are rooted in the truth of Scripture, often, as I said, drawn from Scripture itself, and that they've shown themselves to be faithful and useful for the church. Uh, and there's this Anglican phrase called lex, it's Latin, lex orandi, lex credendi. And what it means is the order is the order is how we believe. And so the idea is like the order of how you pray, the language that you use, how you pray, is actually how you end up believing. The words that you use shape what you believe about God. And so the written down prayers are ones that the church has together said, yeah, that's scriptural. That's who God is. That's true of who God is. And it shapes our imaginations, shapes our hearts. As you hear the prayers, as you engage in the written prayers, often you'll find that worms its way into like your extemporaneous prayer, right? The, there's a prayer in, um, in Compline, like the end of the day prayer service that says, we who are wearied by the changes and chances of this life. And that phrase has found its way into my like prayer life often. I was like, God, I am like, being rocked by the changes and chances of this life. Would you help me? You who are unchanged, unmessed up by those things. So the idea is, is these written prayers uh, help shape our imaginations and our hearts in uh, the life of God. Uh, as I said, we'll do a lunch and learn, I think on the 26th uh, on this. The information's in your bulletin. We'll, and, and I encourage you to come on out for that. And the Book of Common Prayer both shapes the church's corporate worship, but it's also this amazing tool in your own home, in your own life. From there... Call it for the day, we go to the children's dismissal. We sing over the kids. And this was good. You actually, everybody got clapping in for it. It was awesome. Uh, we do this children's dismissal. This is not just like this like thing, oh, we need to get them out. They process after the cross just as those who've been robed have. And that's a sign. It's supposed to be a sign to you that children are not like junior members of the church. Like when you get 16, you get a driver's license and you get to follow Jesus or something like that. You can, from a very young age, from birth, they are part of the people of God. They are part of the church. And we're raising them as such. We're seeking to shape them and form them in followership of Jesus, following after his cross. And we sing over our children because they are a gift of God to us. And, and I don't know if you know this, at the, the meeting next week, we'll talk about what they're doing in the garden for this year. But it's not just childcare. Like the garden is intended to be formation. And during sprouts and roots in particular, there's lessons. And if your kid is in sprouts or roots, ask them about it this, this week. Ask them about it today. What'd you learn? Often they're learning from the same passage that we're learning from, um, but in an age-appropriate way. And, and then the kids return later because we want them to participate in worship as much as possible. And, and maybe you have a child who's nursery age and nursery's open throughout the whole time. And that's great if that blesses you. But also like, don't be shy about coming to get them for communion or something like that so that your child can see you worshiping and participate with you, can participate in seeing other adults who aren't just their parents worshiping. Um, that's a powerful formative thing. So that's children's dismissal and all that kind of stuff. We move now to this second section, receiving from the word. And I think we have up here a next slide, the core value of transformation. Uh, and the conviction behind this core value is that God speaks and he speaks today. Like God has spoken in the past and he continues to speak. Um, in just a second, David will come and lead us in our scripture readings. And there are four readings chosen for each Sunday. Um, and the idea is, is we're choosing from the whole story of scripture. 
that we don't get to pick or choose. Like maybe as, maybe my favorite book of the Bible is Ephesians. And so I'm like, oh man, we're just gonna preach from Ephesians all the time, right? Nothing but Ephesians. Uh, the lectionary is intended to say like, no, 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 no. It's not about like my personal preferences or something like that. But the people of God need the whole story of scripture. And you think of it, there's an Old Testament, there's an epistle usually, there's a gospel, and there's a psalm. And these are supposed to be windows into the story. And they're often thematically linked, right? Like you're often like, oh yeah, that kind of connects with one or the other. Um, and they're often then chosen for where we are in the church calendar. Here at Church of the Cross, during ordinary time, the season we're in right now, we often will do like a sermon series, like through Romans, but Advent to kind of Pentecost, we follow the lectionary because the readings are intended to guide us through the church calendar and help us follow along specifically. Um, at the end of the readings, we say this thing, other than the Psalm, we say, and the gospel, we say the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And sometimes the scripture reading is one that's super confusing and you're like, what the heck? Sometimes it's really, really hard. It's a hard saying of Jesus. And you're like, man, that stings. But the response of the people of God is always, thanks be to God. Whether it makes us comfortable, whether it confuses us, confounds us, whether it's really difficult, whether it's buoyant and beautiful and encourages us, we say collectively, this is the word of the Lord. And it's in real time, right? We're saying this today is the word of the Lord for us. It's done in faith that the word speaks to us, that God speaks to us through his word today. You'll notice, of course, if you've been around here, that we process the cross and people turn as the cross is walked uh, into the middle and kind of face the cross there, face the gospel. The gospel is kind of the passages of scripture, the four stories of Jesus' life. And so it has this particular focus for us. And the idea of processing the cross into the middle is like honoring the gospel reading for that reality. Um, but it's also this symbol of the incarnation, right? Like Jesus, the, the focus of the gospel readings came into the very center of us, right? He tabernacled among us. He set up in our neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. And that's supposed to be the symbol is he's in the midst of us. I've told this story before, but once I was like opening the gospel and this big fat fly like landed right on the, the page. Um, and it was like, oh, get that off of there. It's kind of like a distracting moment. But there's something actually very real and good, tangible about that. Like it reminded us, Jesus like became physical. He had to deal with mosquitoes and bugs and that sort of thing. And the idea is, is God is a reminder. God is incarnated, has entered into our reality. Uh, this is not really a reason why, um, but it's a feature of it that is like retroactive. It's like, oh, that's really cool. Is as we, we face each other around the gospel, if you're seated over here, like Zach's over here and Bruce is over here, they like look at each other. They can now see each other. They're facing each other through the gospel, right? And it's a reminder that we are made one people through the gospel. Zach and Bruce are not getting along this week or they know they're very different. They have different perspectives on things. It doesn't matter. The idea is, is in the gospel, we are made one people. You guys can deal with that later. You can hash it out later. Um, but the idea is, is like we see each other now, not for like, oh, that person's a different class. That person's a different ethnicity, different political persuasion, whatever it might be. We see them in light of the gospel and we're reminded we're drawn together in Christ. Last thing about this, I'll just say something else, is you might see people doing something like this as the gospel is read. And the idea is, is they're crossing their foreheads, their lips, and their hearts. And the idea is, is they want the gospel, in, it's an expression of this desire that like, would the gospel be 
in my mind? Would it be on my lips? Would it be in my heart? And you make this little cross sign here, little cross sign here, and little cross sign here. I was once told by a priest, don't, don't stick out your thumb like that, though I do that. And they're like, it looks like you're sucking your thumb, but uh, you could do that if you want or something like that. But the idea of crossing, and some of you will know, often it will cross ourselves here, especially when the name of the Trinity is given, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a wonderful book called A Severe Mercy, where the gentleman, Sheldon, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he talks about it's crossing out the I, right? It's crossing out yourself. And it's saying, not my will, but the Lord's will be done. And there's something of that that's in this expression of crossing yourselves. There's some other times that you cross yourself, not just with the name of the Lord, um, but uh, that's for the primary time is when you say, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or at the table, we say, like, uh, sanctify us. And it's this expression of, yeah, like, make us holy, cruciform us, make us shaped in the life of the cross. All right, that's enough from me. Would you please stand as David now comes to read the passages of Scripture? Am I on? All right, you may sit for the Old Testament reading. Our Old Testament reading is taken from the prophet Isaiah. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, and the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. The word of the Lord. Please stand and join me in reading responsively our psalm for the day, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. Indeed, as long as I have my being, I will sing praises unto my God. Put not your trust in princes, nor in any child of man. For there is no help in them. For when one breathes his last, he shall return again to the earth. And in that day, Blessed is the one who has the God of Jacob for his help. And whose help is in the Lord his God. Who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is therein. Who keeps his promise forever. Who does right to those who suffer wrong. And who feeds the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord helps those who have fallen. 
The Lord cares for the strangers in the land. He defends the fatherless and widow. But the way of the ungodly he makes crooked. The Lord shall be king forevermore. Even your God, O Zion, throughout all generations. Praise the Lord. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Please be seated. Our New Testament reading is taken from the book of James, chapter 1, 17 through 27. Every good and the perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the word, world. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the gospel song. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. 
After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Epfatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The Gospel of the Lord. Out of my bondage, out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus I come, Jesus I come. Go ahead and have a seat. We now come to the sermon or homily, or as we priests call it, showtime. No, just, just joking. <laughs> just joking. Uh, the idea here no, <laughs> is 20 minutes, we wow you. No. Um, all right. So Phillips Brooks was a well-known preacher in uh, the 20th century, and he described sermons as truth through personality. And the idea is, is that whatever is said here is supposed to be God's truth, aligned with the truth of what's revealed in Scripture, but through the particular personality of both the preacher themselves, but also the congregation. And I think this is a really key moment, is like, point, as we live in a moment where you can access some of the best preaching there ever has been uh, through a podcast. And I do that. I listen to sermons when jogging and all this kind of stuff. Um, and that's a huge gift. But there's something particular about this moment in uh, this community. And the idea is, is that this is supposed to be the word of the Lord for us together, uh, this group, this community. And there's something unique about that. Um, it might not be like the best preaching you've ever heard. It certainly won't be, I expect. But the idea is, is that it's supposed to be truth, God's truth embodied at this time for this people. And the sermon is really an extension of the reading of God's word, expounding on the word, applying it to our particular lives, helping us to obey and to walk more fully, to, to know the truth more fully. Um, the idea, the goal of our preaching is to hold up the image of Christ in every passage. Um, we believe, and my conviction, our conviction is that the whole of Scripture finds coherence, finds unity in the person of Jesus. And the idea is, is that we open up a passage today from Isaiah or James or something like that, and we point to Christ there. He's present there. Um, and th this is the idea, is that Christ would be seen clearly here for us today. 
That's like, you might hear that and be like, well, yeah, of course, that, that makes sense. But I want to emphasize what's not the goal. The goal of preaching is not behavior modification. Uh, the goal is not this list of bees and do's, right? I have a, a preaching teacher of mine was like, beware of the killer bees, right? <laughs> be more holy, be nicer, be kinder, be more like your neighbor or something like that. Um, that is not the goal of preaching. It's not that you would come away from here with like, okay, these are the list of things I've got to be more like. I've got to do more of that. Um, there may be an exhortation. There may be a challenge or some kind of fresh obedience for us in the word. That's clearly there. But that is not the focus. The focus for us in this moment is not like get doing this or get doing that. But neither is the goal like self-help or self-actualization. Um, the idea that like you are going to in and of yourself make a change or, or, or realize, um, become different in and of your own power. Um, the Conviction behind our preaching is that the needs of every human life, the needs of the human heart, are only met fully and finally in Jesus Christ. Um, and we have in him this picture of God's goodness and glory, his grace. We have in him the way forward, whatever our situation might be. That's the truth of his gospel. There was a German theologian who in the 20th century visited, uh, was traveling through California, um, and his name was Helmut Tielicke. And he was asked by someone, he was like, oh, like, what did you think of the churches? He said, the church is great. And he was, what do you think of the preaching? And he was like, I would sum up the preaching in the churches that I visited as it's good to be good and it's nice to be nice. Uh, and that is a huge indictment. Like, that's not the point of preaching. It's this promise. Uh, we have a quote here from Fleming Rutledge, who is this amazing preacher that I referenced last week and we reference quite frequently. But she wrote, every sermon should end not in an exhortation, but with a promise. Exhortation might be a part of it, but the goal of our preaching is to remind you of the promises of God that are yours in Christ. Um, and I think that that, our conviction is, is that that leads to transformation more than willpower, more than grinning and bearing it and changing. It's the promise of what God has done for us in Christ. So that's the preaching moment. And from the preaching moment, we then respond, right? Like we gather as the people of God here and we respond with the creed. Um, a regular part of our worship is the Nicene Creed, but it could also be the Apostles' Creed. There are three creeds in the Anglican Church. There's the Apostles, Nicene Creed, which we regularly pray, and then the Athanasian Creed, which is associated with the theologian St. Athanasius. And it is a doozy. It's like five pages long. So be thankful that we don't pray the Athanasian Creed. If we ever get really hardcore about it, maybe we'll do that one time. Uh, but the idea is, is that the creed is this encapsulation. These three creeds are these encapsulations of the church's thinking on scripture, right? They reflect the truth of what the church experienced, the apostles experienced in Jesus, and then what's been given to us in the passages of scripture. Um, and this is, the idea is the creed has been handed down for hundreds of years, generation to generation. Um, and this is really key. The goal of our preaching and of our life is not like novelty, like we're gonna remake this and we're gonna discover something new. The gospel always needs to be articulated freshly in new situations, new time. But we are given this body of knowledge, this content, this proclamation about who God is. And the idea is, is we want our preaching to be faithful to it. We want our lives to cohere with this. The fact that the creed follows the sermon is really key. It's like you hear the sermon and then immediately you have the rubric afterward and you like can connect. Did the sermon actually cohere with what we're saying now, with what the church has always believed? And there's a chance it doesn't. The idea is, is the creed is supposed to kind of like act as this guard for our preaching. 
But more than that, it's this moment where we collectively kind of express, we acknowledge our convictions. We, we remind ourselves. I'll sometimes say like, let's stand and rehearse the story that gives our lives meaning. The, the creed is supposed to be this encapsulation of the story of our lives. And it's a collective act, right? And speaking frankly, there are weeks I'm sure when we come, there's weeks when I come and I find my faith faltering, my belief faltering. And there is a power in doing this together where we're carried along by the voices around us and by the conviction that the church throughout time is with us proclaiming the same thing, the same reality. And we're kind of carried along and our own faith is built up, strengthened by that reality. We do it every week, week in and week out. And this is key um, because it's also this kind of like pledge, this pledge of allegiance. This is the truth that we're building our lives on. We have a, a, a slide about this, a quote from James K. Smith, a man who's written a lot about the church's liturgy. He says, in reciting it each week, we rehearse the skeletal structure of the story in which we find our identity. Its cadences become part of who we are and they function as rival cadences sometimes doing battle in our imagination with the cadences of other pledges that would ask for our allegiance and loyalty. Often when we come to church on Sunday, by the time we've gotten to Friday or Saturday, we need to be reminded of who we are and the truth that we believe. We're bombarded in television and media and just in the, our lives with other claims, other stories that are tempting or very easy to see ourselves as part of. And the idea is, is we repeat this story for ourselves. We, we acquaint ourselves again with the script, the true script of our lives. From the creed, we move to the prayers of the people. And this is the moment where we stand or kneel um, and we pray, led by the reader this morning by David. And it's this gathering up of the needs of the church the global church, the, the whole church, and also this church, and the needs of the world. We pray for our leaders. We pray for specific situations if there's needs and crises around us, and that's together brought before God. We have a series of forms that we use. We, we pray through them in, in rotation, uh, and they're drawn from the Book of Common Prayer. There's a number of forms there, but also from other uh, avenues, uh, uh, arenas in the church. We have a prayer from Nigeria. We have a prayer from Kenya that we use. And it's another moment where we're reminded that we're praying, lending our voices with the prayers of the whole church. Um, there's often a moment where we have for you to kind of like lift up aloud a person that you know who's in trouble or in need. Um, and there's a moment after the, the, the reader will pray something and then there's like a pause. And that pause is an opportunity for you in light of that particular prayer. Say it's praying for our leaders to kind of add your own petition to that of like, yeah, in particular, I pray for Mayor Adler. I pray with, around this issue or something like that. You can silently do that. You can do out loud do that, but you take advantage of that silence. That's the idea. From the prayers of the people, we go to the peace, right? We stand and you extend peace to one another. I say, extend signs of Christ's peace to one another. And it's just this like joyful, lighthearted shaking of hands, but it has this like theological depth to it. It's this idea of like, it's this moment of reconciliation before we come to the altar, right? Think of Jesus' words in Matthew, like before you come to the altar, if you're not at peace with your brother, with your sister, go and make peace. So I'm looking at you, Zach and Bruce, we know you guys are at odds. Uh, and so the idea is, is you make peace in this moment. 
Uh, and it can be this lighthearted, like I said, joyful, just shaking hands, or I mean, in other times, shaking hands, fist bump or elbow, chicken wing. Um, uh, but it can also be, and it actually has been in my experience. I've seen people like, oh, like we need to go like make peace. We go outside of the room and, and hash something out. Um, and it's this expression that we are at peace, reconciled because of the work of Jesus Christ. Um, we do confession very early on. But often confession, uh, and sometimes we've done this, like, is associated with the prayers of the people. And the peace comes right after confession. And the idea is, is like, you're reconciled to God. And now because you're reconciled to God, make sure you're reconciled with your brothers and sisters. Because out of the grace of Jesus, you can be reconciled with one another. Uh, so, okay, so that's the prayer. Uh, and why don't we stop there? Why don't you stand with me as we rehearse our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed? Let us confess our faith together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. I invite you to remain standing or kneel for the prayers of God's people. With all our heart and with all our mind, let us pray to the Lord, saying, Lord, have mercy. For the peace of the whole world, for the welfare of the Holy Church of God, and for the unity of all peoples, let us pray to the Lord. For our bishop and for all the clergy and people, let us pray to the Lord. For our president, for the leaders of the nations, and for all in authority, let us pray to the Lord.
for the work of Trinity on the Border, the Immigration Coalition, and for all who provide care and work for justice on our southern border, let us pray to the Lord. For this city, for every city and community, and for those who live in them, let us pray to the Lord. For the good earth which God has given us, and for the wisdom and will to conserve it, let us pray to the Lord. For the aged and infirm, for the widowed and orphans, and for the sick and the suffering, let us pray to the Lord. And I invite you now to name aloud or silently all those whom you know who are in any kind of sorrow or trouble. Together we pray. For the poor and the oppressed, for the unemployed and the destitute, for prisoners and captives, and for all who remember and care for them, let us pray to the Lord. For all who have died in the hope of the resurrection, and for all the departed, let us pray to the Lord. For deliverance from all danger, violence, and oppression, and degradation, let us pray to the Lord. That we may end our lives in faith and hope, without suffering and without reproach, let us pray to the Lord. In the communion of all the saints, let us commend ourselves and one another in all our life to Christ our God, to Thee, our Lord and God. O oh, gracious God, the author of life, the giver of good gifts, we rejoice in the gift of so many children in our midst. We look forward to the new birth of beloved sons and daughters in the weeks and months ahead. We pray your blessing over those who are expecting and those who desire the gift of a child or more children. And mindful too, O oh Lord, of the realities playing out in our state this past week, we call upon you. Lord, we rejoice over public policy that would reduce the number of abortions. And we rejoice over public policy that would promote the rule of law. We pray that you would guide those serving in courts and in our legislative bodies as they seek to discern and adjudicate these matters. Grant them wisdom, humility, and charity to serve the common good and the flourishing of all people, born and unborn. And recognizing our utter dependence upon you in all things, we pray that by your mercy, your kingdom would come to such an extent in our city and state that the desire or felt need for any and all abortion would be eliminated 
that your abundant provision would be made known in every corner of Texas, such that there would be no such thing as an undesired child or a parent who felt their child's needs could not be met. Come, Lord Jesus. Strengthen us to participate in the hastening of your kingdom, to serve children born and unborn, to serve mothers and fathers and families, especially those who are poor. Come, Holy Spirit. And until the fullness of your kingdom dawns, we pray your special grace upon mothers specifically, but also fathers, as they seek to make decisions in our broken state amid broken systems. Be with those who feel themselves to be in no-win situations. We pray for those considering aborting their children. Make them to know your love. Guide them in the way of peace. We pray those for here, for those here who had abortions or pressured others to have them. Reveal your grace and bring healing so that we would all be reminded that yours, King Jesus, is the only name given for wholeness and salvation and that there is no act beyond the reach of your grace. Stir up our faith, hope, and love, we pray as your church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please stand? The peace of the Lord be always with you. I encourage you to extend the peace of the Lord to one another here and online, and we'll come back in a second with the announcements. Good morning. I want to invite you to go ahead and take a seat. There are just a few announcements I wanted to direct your attention toward this morning. Uh, as always, I want to say a special get, uh, welcome if you're a guest or a visitor or perhaps following us online for the first time or just recently. Uh, we're so delighted to have your participation in our worship. And it's our hope, as I said, that you would have a sense of God's grace and goodness. If you are here in the room, you can fill out one of those blue-topped cards. We would love to know you were here, be in touch with you this week, answer any questions you have. You can also put any prayer requests on there. Uh, our staff and uh, prayer team would love to pray with you. Uh, they're not really newcomers, they're not really guests, but it, today is the first Sunday the Smiths are here, Drew and Sarah Smith and their three children. Uh, Sarah starts on Tuesday for work. So we're super excited. You can welcome the Smiths later on. Uh, it's fantastic that Sarah is going to be joining our staff. We're so excited about that. Uh, there are a bunch of things going on, a bunch of things listed here. I'm not going to highlight all of them, but one of them is next week following worship. Uh, we'll be having a parish meeting. And I want to encourage you, especially if you're like formerly a member, but even if you're not, if you just consider this part of your community to participate, either in person, it will also be available online. We'll have more information out about it this coming week. We'll be welcoming uh, new members under the parish council. We'll be talking about the budget and that sort of thing. I can move back if you need me in the light. Uh, I want to be in the light, right? As Charlie Peacock sang. Um, but you can sign up for that parish meeting, or I mean, you don't have to sign up. Come to the parish meeting next Sunday, September 12th. You'll also notice there's a couple of neighborhood groups listed here that's not exhaustive um, with everything going on with the pandemic, with staff stuff. We're kind of rolling out groups a little more slowly. Um, there's one group, the Hayes' group, that has information in there and some others that will have uh, information in the weeks to come and there'll be some more ways to connect. Um, groups are just a fantastic way to press into life together here at Church, Church of the Cross. So I'd encourage you to check those out and make every effort there. Uh, the last thing I wanted to highlight is that we have listed here, we've had it for a while, but you can now sign up. We're having a parish retreat at the end of October. Uh, if you've never been a part of Church of the Cross, the parish retreat is a one-day thing. We're looking at maybe doing like a Friday hangout thing just for fun, um, but it's not an overnight retreat. It's here at Zilker Park in Zilker Lodge, which is this really amazing facility in the middle of Zilker Park. We'll be there that Saturday 
Uh, it'll be breakfast, lunch, dinner. There's childcare. And the retreat is this fantastic way to connect with others. I know that uh, during the peace or after worship, we hang out. Um, you could probably make up like six or seven Sundays in one day at the parish retreat of just like relational time, getting to know one another. We play games, we have fun. Um, I'm super excited. This year, we have a pastor from Atlanta named John Onwu Chekwa, who is Nigerian American. Uh, he's a fantastic pastor. Uh, and he's gonna be talking about, uh, a fantastic teacher. He's gonna be talking about prayer and perseverance. Uh, and so that's a fantastic topic as we think about this time and all that we've endured these last years about drawing near to the Lord in faith, continuing in prayer. He's a really gifted teacher. I encourage you to come out. You can sign up online. The cost is in there. We do not want cost to be a barrier to anyone's participation. So if you uh, want to give some more to help cover someone else's cost, that's fantastic. Um, you can also, if you're like, you know what, uh, cost is going to be an issue. You can uh, just uh, notify us of like, hey, I need some help and we can totally make that happen. There are other things going on in the weeks to come. Newcomers lunch two weeks from now. Keep Austin beautiful, an opportunity to serve our neighbors. Uh, check that out there or sign up for our e-news. Just before we do birthdays and anniversaries, I'll give a little like sketch liturgical tour. I know we're going long, so I'll start going really, really fast. Uh, about even faster. I talk fast, I know. Um, <laughs> Uh, but the announcements are a part of our liturgy, and it's just this recognition that uh, the life of the church extends beyond Sunday morning, uh, and that the life of the church extends into the whole. And so the events are often kind of related to uh, following Jesus in the midst of our week, following him as uh, mothers of little ones, following him as uh, young adults or youth or something like that. And it's a way of kind of drawing near in, uh, as a community and to the Lord through the week. We end the uh, announcements with what we'll do in just a moment, which is the blessings for birthdays or anniversaries. And this relates to that value of celebration, right? Like we celebrate the goodness of God in the everyday nature of our lives. Uh, so those who are celebrating birthdays, we, we, we uh, invite the Lord's blessing upon them. And those who are celebrating anniversaries. Now, I'm just going to say something about the marriage blessing. Uh, I feel conflicted about the marriage blessing because... We do not want the prayer for anniversaries to communicate that being married is a necessary requirement of faithfully following Jesus. And we are blessed with single sisters and brothers in our community. Uh, and so uh, the, the marriage blessing, I worry sometimes that it communicates like, oh, okay, uh, if being married is the norm or being married is what you're supposed to be doing and being as a faithful Christian. And that is not true, right? Jesus himself seems to have been single his entire life. And he did a pretty good job of being faithful to God. Uh, but the marriage blessing is supposed to capture this theology of marriage, this idea that it's a haven of blessing and peace, that it reflects Christ's relationship to us as the people of God in terms of faithfulness, fidelity, uh, in terms of life together. Uh, and that idea, that language of haven and blessing, it has a missional thrust. And it is specifically intended to kind of cast vision for us who are married that like, the, the extent of our love doesn't end with like our spouse or the people around us. The haven of blessing and peace is supposed to extend to those around us that when they enter into the orbit of our married life, enter into our homes, that they would experience it to be a place of blessing and peace. And so there's this missional thrust uh, and it's just good theology of marriage that we kind of like hold on to. But I wanted to say that thing about those who are single and this communication that it's not intended to communicate that marriage, you're either 24 or you're married or something like that in church. That is not true. Uh, all right, with all those caveats aside, I invite you to come up for a birthday of a blessing, your blessing or anniversary, if you're celebrating in or around the Sunday. You can also put it online. If you're celebrating a birthday or anniversary in or around the Sunday, come on up. 
Well, maybe it's just me. I don't know. All right. All right, Jacob. My man, Jacob. I know it's your birthday this coming. It's next Saturday? Friday. 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 All right. Jacob, how old are you turning, my man? How old are you turning? Eight years old. Congratulations. Is anybody online celebrating a birthday? No? Do we? No? Your sister is? Next Saturday. Blythe Taylor. Got her back. That's awesome, Sebastian. Thanks very much. All right, let's extend a hand and pray a blessing over Jacob and Blythe. It'll be up on the screen. Watch over thy children, O Lord, as their days increase. Bless and guide them wherever they may be. Strengthen them when they stand. Comfort them when discouraged or sorrowful. Raise them up if they fall. And in their hearts may thy peace, which passes all understanding, abide all the days of their lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Happy birthday, Jacob. Have a great week. It's a great celebration on Friday. You too, Blythe. Happy birthday. That's super exciting. Uh, I hope my caveat, like I hope no one was celebrating an anniversary and like heard that caveat and was like, never mind, we're not going up. Um, hope not. Uh, we now come to the moment in off of the offering. This too is an act of worship. You'll notice that ushers will bring forward, I see someone motioning. There was an online anniversary, a virtual anniversary. Well, who is it for? Luke and Ellen. Eight years. All right. You have a marriage that is as old as Jacob. Fantastic. Uh, all right. So, okay, let's extend it. Let's, I don't know where we're going to extend a hand. All right, I'm going to extend a hand to the screen, and we're going to pray over Luke and Ellen. Oh, God, you have so blessed the covenant of marriage that in it is represented the spiritual unity between Christ and his church. Send your blessing upon these, your children, that their lives together may continue to reflect your love and forgiveness, and that their home may be a haven of blessing and peace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, happy anniversary, Stiles. Uh, where was I, right before I was so rudely interrupted? No, just sorry. Well, yeah, okay, we're about to do the offering. Uh, you'll notice the ushers will bring up bread and wine, uh, and that is they'll bring up some of the elements. And the idea is that's a symbolic expression of the gifts that God has given us, the stuff of creation. We're returning it to God, and it's becoming something more. It's graced by him to become a blessing to the nations up through the church as we partake of the body and blood of Christ. The same thing is the logic for our offering. We give of what God has given us that others might receive his grace, that, others, that he might take our humble offerings multiply it and use it for his glory. Uh, and so that's the act of worship that takes place here and now in the offering. Now walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself as an offering and sacrifice unto God. So we now come to the section in our worship that is receiving from the table. And the core value associated with this is the value of consolation, consolation for brokenhearted people and a broken world. And a conviction that animates this part of our worship is that human beings are holistic, that we are physical, and that tangible physical reminders of God's grace are a, a way that he works in us. And so as we come forward, we come forward uh, expectant, longing for the grace of God, and we receive these tangible physical reminders, the bread and wine, as uh, participation in what he has done for us on the cross. The word Eucharist means thanksgiving, and this table is really the climactic moment of celebration 
for us as God's people, this thanksgiving of all he's done for us in Jesus. The words that we'll do, the liturgy of the table, retell the gospel story. And it is a great, like, balm to me as someone who regularly preaches, that the gospel will be proclaimed. Uh, Whatever the sermon, however the sermon came together or didn't, the gospel will be proclaimed here for us as his people. And we remember here, we look back on Christ's sacrifice, but we also look ahead to this great meal, the great wedding banquet that the book of Revelation speaks of. And we are in this moment gathered up with God's people around the world, uh, through time around his throne. And the idea is, is that we are all participating in the communion of saints in this moment. I wanna encourage you as you approach, there's different modes that you could approach this table. You could approach joyful, celebrating all that God has done for you in Christ. You could come with repentance and with humility, recognizing your own unworthiness and all that Christ sacrificed. You could come seeking courage and wholeness in your life, feeling this lack, a deep yearning that can only be satisfied by Jesus. Those are kind of the modes in which God's people come, uh, perhaps joyfully, be, uh, joyful and excited, perhaps low, but in need of him. And you come in faith, recognizing that Christ has all that it is here for us. Uh, there'll be worship music, as you know, during communion. I encourage you to use that as a time of prayer or stillness in God's presence as best you're able, especially if you have children and that sort of thing. And there is often, I think right now during COVID, we're a little uh, not doing it in the same way, but there's often prayer team. And we regularly have prayer workers who are there to pray for you and pray with you for healing, for what you've experienced here to become more real in your own life. So with all that in mind, let's begin. The Lord is here. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right, our duty and our joy always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death in the grave and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you, in your mercy, sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all, that by his suffering and death we might be saved. By his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. As our great high priest, he ascended to your right hand in glory, that we might come with confidence before the throne of grace. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And we celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And we offer you these gifts 
Sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people the body, the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us also that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament and be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom, where we shall see our Lord face to face. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for you, the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. Amen. We have now received from the table and now comes the final portion of this feast that the Lord has set for us and that is the sending out into the world. Uh, and this uh, accords with uh, this value of participation, participation with God in blessing the world around us. You'll notice at the end of communion that I held forth the, the plate with the bread still on it, and there's still bread on it. And that is kind of a practical thing in case there's anybody who can't come forward that we could, we could bring it to you. Um, but it's also this symbol of the abundance of God, that there is more always of him for us, and there's more of him for the world. And it's that kind of idea that there's an abundance in God for the world around us that sends us out. We've received, and now we go into the world with the idea of bearing witness and doing deeds that reflect the abundance of what we've received from God and draw other people to taste of God's goodness and taste of his grace. So that's the spirit in which we now, by the Holy Spirit, are participants. We're sent out that you are still part of the church and you pass by the baptismal font on your way out. And that's this reminder. And you can again, dip your hands there, cross yourself. It's again a reminder. You belong to Jesus as you go into the world. Labor Day weekend, as you enter into your week, as you enter into your various vocations, you do so as one belonging to Jesus. And at the very heart of your work out there is the same thing that's at the very heart of our work here. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living in such a way that you bless his name and living in such a way that others would see his goodness and come to bless him too. So with that in mind, would you join me now in the prayer for mission? Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you have fed us with the spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and mission and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Amen. We barely scratched the surface, although I'm sure it doesn't feel like that two hours later. So I apologize for keeping you so long. If you have other questions, well, uh, feel free to ask me about them, about worship. I would love to talk with you about that. And as you go, would you receive this blessing? With the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of him and of his son, Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the blessing of God Almighty, the one whom we bless, be upon you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and always. Amen. <laughs>